to a very exciting edition of the Grizzden Podcast. It's been a couple of weeks since we've talked last, and uh, man, there is a lot going on. Uh, first and foremost, I'm gonna I'm gonna list out all the different things that we could could talk about on this podcast, and we're gonna try to get to them. Um, we're also gonna try to talk about some of these games that have been just insane, and then we are nearing the end of the season and the playoff race is extremely tight where the Grizzlies are and there's a lot that can happen so we're going to try to unpack it all on the podcast for you before I go through all this I'll welcome Ty Smith senior to the podcast hey and I'm going to welcome Brantley Davidson to the podcast let's go let's go all right so since we last spoke, Jaron Jackson Jr. returned to the lineup. We have a key lineup change in the bench unit with a certain backup point guard not really playing anymore and a certain uh, trade asset that we acquired last year playing a lot. We have... Um, D'Anthony Melton just having a, a campaign on his behalf by all of Grizz Nation. We have John Morant looking unstoppable. We have wins, two wins in a row against what some consider now our biggest rival. Mm. Ooh. We've got playoff intrigue. I mean, where... Where should we even start, honestly? Okay, so the most popular thing to talk about right now is the whole Melton-Grayson thing. Let's I feel like it. we sort of just need to, like, let's just... Let's address it. Let's for, just go with it. For those that, um, if you listen to any Grizz media, if you read any Grizz media, there, this is the popular, this is the the topic to talk about when you talk about the Grizzlies lineup. So... Um, D'Anthony Melton earlier in the season, very recently actually, was getting some DNPs CDs, which means he did not play and it was a coach's decision. He wasn't hurt. Um, he just did not crack the rotation. He's an analytics darling. We signed him to uh, our mid-level exception last year, which is a little above 9 or $10 million a year. And he... Um, just seems to do lots of things right. Um, he was being favored in the lineup for guys, uh, particularly Grayson Allen, as Brantley, you mentioned. Um, we had some other wings like Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, um, Tyus Jones at the time was playing as well. And, and Taylor Jenkins is known for having 10 man rotations and, and there was going to be an odd man out once we had full a full-strength lineup, and Melton was that guy. And recently, his minutes have actually increased a bit. Um, and yet, do you guys feel like it's still not to where it needs to be, or have you been encouraged by what we've seen um, thus far? So maybe even, I'll, I think I'll ramble a second and get to the answer to your question from, from my sure. perspective. I just, this to me is more, 
a conversation about the way Jenkins is managing the minutes to me versus it is necessarily the talent is how I want to come about it. And the way that I've thought about it is this, is that if you remember like this is going to be a terrible football cross into the NBA analogy, but like back when Alabama had like Trent Richardson and um, those, you know, they had a plethora of running backs. I just feel like there's the, there are games you would watch them and you feel like they could, some games, all of them would get equal minutes, but then sometimes they would just go with the hot hand. And I felt like that was just sort of a, like Saban and whatever OC knowing at the time, like, oh, this this matchup makes more sense for Trent versus Ingram. And it's going to help us win this game and we're going to roll with it. And I think that's been my issue with like what, right now, we sort of, we have these, this plethora of guards that in any um, one game, one can get hot, have a better matchup, maybe have a better feel for the game that night for a various amount of reasons, which is, which is a, a, an unbelievable luxury that in all of our fandom as Grizzlies, which is maybe the history of the franchise has never had, especially from a young talent perspective. And so like, let's just use the recency bias against Denver no, not Denver, Portland, sorry, two games ago when, I mean, I'm not saying like Grayson had a terrible game, but it was just very clear he was off. I mean, he, I mean, from, from a three point perspective, he was, or he was three for 12 from the field over four from three point line as compared to Melton where who wasn't shooting perfect, but he was at least two for three from the three from behind the arc and wasn't doing stupid shit, turning the ball over down the stretch. Like, that is a clear scenario to me where go with at least maybe not even the hot hand, but the better hand at the time. And I don't know. I don't, I didn't see any glaring matchup issues that would mean that Melton wouldn't have made sense in those moments. And I think that's just my, my primary issue right now with what's happening is that sure start Grayson. And if he comes out hot, like he has in the past, keep him in. That's awesome. Maybe it helps raise Melton ceiling that game too. But if Grayson starts to look down and Melton comes in off the benches and is hot. You got to adjust your rotations and maybe keep Melton in that game, just because that's sort of honestly the way Grayson is from a playing perspective. So that's my main issue, and I would say it's just sort of a rotation thing. What about you, Ty? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, don't mind starting Grayson. I think that's fine because he's shown that if he does start out hot, he must be guarded on the perimeter, or he's going to hurt you. Um, it wasn't that long ago against Milwaukee, that game that we dominated them. That was, what, like a week, two weeks ago? He had 26 points. So I'm sh- pretty sure he hit seven threes. And they were like not – they were just like pull-ups off screens. Like we were running him off screens and all this kind of stuff. And that opened up a ton of the floor, right, for everyone else. But to Brantley's point, if it's not going down, that's his main asset. That's why he's on the floor. He's He's on the floor to – shoot threes and stretch the floor, and if he can, you know, attack a closeout and get an open space, hit a little floater, make a good pass. But that's, like, if the shot's not falling, he's limited in what he can do on the floor, for sure. So, again, to Brantley's point, I don't mind him playing. That's fine. But the last six minutes of a close game, if if he doesn't have it and there's someone else who does, that's who should play. And to the luxury of having several guys that should wear that is where you should take advantage is you have three legit options at the two spot including Bain in my opinion 
he's kind of slowed down a little bit of late. But next game, he could hit four threes in a heartbeat, and it wouldn't shock me, right? Whoever, like the luxury of having so many guys that can play is that at the end of the games, you have the opportunity to play who's hot. And we're not doing that right now. So so if I uh, just, in a vacuum, if you had to tell me defensively, who would you rather have guarding the other team's one or two guard, Grayson Allen or D'Anthony Milton, what would you say? Milton. Yeah, Milton, for sure. So the usually I think that there are um, drawbacks to, save for a few guys in the league, really, really good defenders are tend to have or they're they're going to give you something on one side that they can't give you on the other, but it's worth it because the cost, you know, doesn't outweigh the benefit. And yet, per thirty six minutes, DeAnthony Melton is second on our team, shooting forty five percent from three per thirty six minutes. Grayson Allen though is third with forty percent. So what I'm saying is they're essentially identical. Melton's even a little bit better per thirty six minutes shooting the three, and he also brings all of this other stuff. And so, to me, it's a no-brainer. Like, start Grayson, like you said. Like, there's no harm in doing so. I think I would compare Grayson a lot to JV. Like, he brings a specific skill. That's a great point. But he, it's okay if he doesn't end the game. Like, put in your best players. Put in your, your players that can do the most and are most versatile. But don't cost you anything on the offensive end. Do you have something, Doc? Yeah, real quick. So uh, the Twitter account, uh, Fast Break Breakfast, um, did an interesting – I don't have the tweet pulled up in front of me, so I, y'all can obviously look it up. But it talks about um, DeAnthony and Jaws. They've played a certain amount of minutes together, and they're like plus a huge amount in that short period of time. Um, and that just kind of speaks to, A, they're not really playing a ton together, but that also shows me that – DeAnthony's never closing games, right? Because Ja comes in at the eight-minute mark in the fourth quarter, and he stays in. And DeAnthony comes out at, like, the five-minute mark and never goes back in. Um, so they just don't play a lot together. And to your point about DeAnthony being a good shooter, he and Ja clearly play well together because they're a huge plus. And if that's what we're trying to do is put people around Ja that make him successful, and he can obviously make pretty much anyone successful – that's been proven. So why aren't you leaning into that more? And I'm not saying Grayson, that's also not the case with him, but when in doubt, we're going to Grayson and that doesn't always have to be the case. And that's the point we're trying to make. I think I just want to pose something to both of y'all. So I was sort of coming out a little critical of Taylor Jenkins, head coach of the basketball team. So let's just assume that, you know, he's smarter than fast break, fast break breakfast and has these stats in front of him that he's seeing the same thing as we are. He's thought of this amazing football analogy like I have. What would be the reasons why he would not do this? I think that's what's frustrating is because we can't come up with one. Why he would I can't. play why Grayson he's, over Why Milton? is he choosing to not play Melton like we would like him to? Closing games, a... in the hot hand over Allen at times like what I mean let's let's give him some benefit of the doubt like what would be some reasons um uh, well you could say that um he believes that the value Grayson could bring at 
his ceiling, I guess, could theoretically be higher, but I don't think that's the case. Um, he, shooting ceiling. Shooting ceiling, Maybe. right. Shooting ceiling. Um, he could, it could be a, a size thing. It could be a, he could see it as a maturity thing even. I mean, he could see, I don't know, there's, is the, there could be some weird seniority thing going on. Um, but, I mean, there's not a lot of reasons on paper besides those, I feel like. Hmm. Okay. I can't think of, I think that's why, what I was saying. I think that's why it's so frustrating is because nothing jumps out as like, I get it. Like, I don't like it, but I get it. But this case, like, there's nothing to get. Like, it just, it doesn't make a ton of sense why... Grayson is not only closing like he's closing every game. That's the thing. Like DeAnthony is never closing games hardly. There's I only one. Remember one. So. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. There's only one other reason that I can think of, and it's that Grayson's deal is a little bit shorter, and therefore you need more as much data as possible to evaluate him. And you could say that the regular season is experimental, especially in this season when there's no expectations. So why not just throw the most unknown thing out there? But I don't know if that makes a ton of sense because you just gave a huge amount of money to DeAnthony. Like, no, I agree. So, like, you know? that's the thing is there's counters. Like, and I don't think I, there's no perfect thinking along those lines of right. He could be he, he is, could be being led to think that way though, and to accumulate maybe. data though. Maybe, but it just that like again, like you were saying, that doesn't make a ton of sense either. So, what's your what's your uh, theory? I don't I don't or necessarily analogy. have a perfect theory. I I I sort of want to believe that um, there is uh, something to will to what you were saying towards the end that the front office is like let's accumulate data we're thinking long term this this is we've said this a lot and I I I want to believe that this is this front office's strategy is that we are building for four to five years from now to compete for a championship and. To do that, we have to maximize every play that we have because we're a small market, and that means we got a great asset in Grayson. Is he one that we keep, or is he one that we flip? Right. Same with Melton. What's the better fit? And, you know, one could say Melton had a is already have, has got some pretty significant value to him already based on, you know, when we acquired him, he did perform maybe to his expectations and we got him to a great deal on a contract that a lot of people don't have in the NBA and could easily include him in deals to get something in the future. And Grayson's one we got to make a decision on. So we've got to see if he really fits or not when we have the full lineup healthy. That's the only thing that I want to believe. It's really frustrating right now in the short term because I just think there's some glaring obvious things as fans where we're just like, this is really stupid. And we don't have obviously this strategic long-term perspective in mind. And I, I just, I, in the previous regime, I wouldn't have hoped for that. I think this one is just sort of, I think there's so many obvious basketball thingies that make me, makes me think that that has to be it. Like, it, there's got to be some sort of integral front office decisions that are saying, you got to split their time. I don't care. Give him closing minutes. Let's see how he performs because we've got to decide if we're going to extend him, you know, maybe similar to D'Anthony or more. I don't know. Because he's a 6'4 combo guard, potentially. 
Yeah, I mean the only the 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 thing I keep kind of going back to in my head is it seems as though Bane and Grayson are kind of duplicative. Like I don't think, like at some point, does it help you to have three undersized two guards on the roster, or are you just basically the opportunity cost at some point has to become too great because you're you're giving up a depth at another position for. I don't know. I some I I personally would rather have maybe a a bigger wing um instead of one of those three guys basically. Right, but you still would have to like theoretically the more that you can show him coming in and doing a 7 for 10 night against Milwaukee for as sure as a value prop to someone trading for him on a contending team and letting him be their eighth or ninth person like being like in a lower expectation Danny Green role on a playoff team like you know right versus starting exactly that's it and the thing is too is I think it's important to go back to our point of we like when Grayson plays well and we like to watch Grayson on our team it's just literally those minutes at the end so it's like if you almost like just switched him out at the very end I feel like we wouldn't be having the same conversation but and on just nights when he doesn't have it like the last Four or five games, he just hadn't had it. Right, he's you don't have to live and die with him for three, and that's like you know he just didn't have it that night. It happens all the time. Kyle Anderson, that happens pretty often. There are several nights where Kyle Anderson doesn't necessarily close games. Right, people, he's not afraid to get subbed out. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's just Kyle obviously brings a lot more to the table. But yeah, that's that's my thing is I don't mind him playing even twenty minutes a night. That's fine. It's just when we're trying to win a game and it's a close game. And he hasn't proven anything that specific night. Don't just don't play him. That's okay. You don't have to, maybe the next night he does have it and you close with him. That's fine. Yep. All right. So we've gone 18 minutes already without talking about <laughs> our best slash second best player potentially um, coming back and looking like he has number one grown and number two. You mean in, in capability or in length? <laughs> Uh, some would say both. I think that uh, I would definitely say both. The tie, okay, you you last podcast, we went through our top 10 prospects under 25 years old, and you had a flaming take flaming. that you think Jaron Jackson Jr. is the best player on the Grizzlies team or could be in five be. years sure. yeah, or yeah. something like that. Um, I'm not and, saying he is. He's definitely not right now. Right, so sure. I'll give you the floor to just, you know, tell us how it felt watching Jaron return and play the way that he did. Yeah. Um, well, I think the Portland, he showed so much. Um, and I think he's played against Portland and Denver, the only two teams he's played against. Denver was tough because Jokic is the MVP favorite and no one can guard him, and he's just really frustrating. Uh, but I also thought it was telling that when Jaron had the ball at the top of the key, um, I'm kind of getting off track already. He basically sized up Jokic, went straight to the cup, and got fouled. Tyler feels like three or four times that happened. Yeah. Um, and his first game back, he guarded Nurkic some, but he also was in when, like, Cantor was in too. And he was protecting the rim like crazy. I think he had four blocks, and he only played, like, 18 minutes in the first game. Something just absurd. I don't have the stats in front of me because my computer died. I don't know where my charger is. He played 18 minutes. There it is. Went four <laughs> from 11. One from four from three. So, 
But he yeah. also hit like six free throws, I think. I think he went like six for yeah, six for free throw. Right. How many blocks did he have? I'm pretty four. sure it was like four. It was four. He had That's 15 insane, points. First yeah. of all. And that was the whole thing we went on. I went on a tangent last year about what is a unicorn and people talk about basically protecting the marine and stretching the floor. Those two things. Ty, I've been asked this a couple of times this week. What exactly is an NBA unicorn? Yeah. Uh, that would, I think this is what I just said. I think if you can stretch, <laughs> Were you listening? I know. I think if you can stretch the floor and protect the rim, I think that's a good – people would argue, like, yeah, what that actually is. But So the fact he had four blocks and he's yet to find his shooting stroke – but also, he's like he was ten for fourteen. I think also in the game against Portland, um, right? Yeah, you're remembering correctly. He yeah. was ten for fourteen, zero for two from the three. He had like twenty three points in twenty minutes or something. Twenty three points. Yep. Like he. Uh, Who needs a computer? Twenty four yeah, minutes. I guess you're right. Uh, I missed the minute by a mark. Um, he's doing a lot of stuff in the paint. I love that he like got out on the break several times and like sealed his defender. Jaw made a quick entry pass. It's like back in the Bickerstaff days, right, when we used to do that with him. Sprint him down the block. He would try to seal, get like a quick, easy layup. Mark would do the entry pass. He's showing the signs of doing like offensively a little bit of everything. And another really cool thing against Portland is when we would try to set – when Portland would try to set the high screen with Dame, and they do that really far out if you want to – if you all are like really want to nerd out. Rewatch how far away Dame gets his screen. He's like six feet behind the line. The reason they do that is because that automatically gives Dame space to operate because few bigs will step out that far, right? They will meet you at the three-point line, but they're not going to come out five feet beyond it, right? And Dame has that range, so you kind of have to respect it. That's why he can kill you on those screens because he can just pull up from 35 feet and pull it and make it all the time. Jaron was legitimately contesting at 35 feet. And if Dame tried to drive, he's long enough to like, yeah, he may get beat, but he's long enough to catch up and still try to block it at the rim. Defensively, he's got to stop fouling, but I think that will come. There's there's also a difference in the fouls because I know people like to make a joke about that. For sure. When he's young, in the first two years of his career, one and a half, I guess, he – really had a bunch of these fouls that were like ticky-tack. Like someone would drive by him, he would reach. It's like and that's dumb just reaches. like, why are you exactly. doing that? Or like offensive fouls when he's trying to go get a rebound exactly. or something like that. Now he's contesting at the rim, and that is sometimes just a 50-50 Definitely. call. And, and so. he's like so talented with his offhand on the drives. Like people oh. also don't talk about his left-hand finishes are just stupid. Mm. Also, every time he finishes around the rim, he looks completely off balance and looks like he's about to fall over. And he, it always goes in because his arms can reach right where so they need long. to go. It's he's like a pony unicorn. It really he's it, like still just gangling. He, yes, he yes. doesn't really know his body yet. Yeah, and he I think, and Ja are both. That's hilarious. They're both kind of like that. Where yeah, Ja will just, jump. They're both twenty-one. They don't really. They both jump a step too early. Yeah, but they can still finish anytime they want because they're ridiculously. Do you athletic. remember how many threes? Jaron average shooting last, last year? year. I think it was like Eight? a little under seven. It was a little under seven. Six point yeah. like so eight. So I think or that's like the that. other fascinating thing. He's taking three a game right now. But I just have like appreciated minutes, the approach that he's had this this incoming like like a first couple of games. Like he's not just looking just to settle for threes, which you could argue maybe is m- one of his most efficient shots. He's Definitely. like looking to attack, getting aggressive. Like he and Ja both have had to me 
like we're not going to go into jaw yet, but Jaron has come in looking super aggressive, not passive, not looking just to catch and shoot. He's been attacking, and I've freaking yeah. loved it. And he's like to your point, he's only average three. And we're talking about how amazing he's been. And the thing that makes him a unicorn, he ain't even been doing it. Yeah, it's true. And the the play that I think could just be lethal and is is something that not a lot of teams have is when we're on defense and we get a rebound and we might not have numbers to completely go and just like immediately uh you know drive but instead we kind of pull it out but the bigs are usually obviously down low on defense and they're trailing how many times have we watched this whole season JV be that big that trails they kick it over to him at the top of the key and he has 10 feet of room but he's only going to take it one out of every 10 times and really can't make but you know, twenty five percent of them He's got a great pump fake. But Jaron, think about Jaron. He does. It is <laughs> it very is slow, <laughs> and it fools no one. No, it fools me every time. Are <laughs> you kidding? No, I'm kidding. So uh, Jaron, though, think about Jaron trailing, and that's where I think we could really make the difference. So yeah, I mean, you got to remember he hasn't played in I think it's like ten months or something like that. It's been a really long time. He, yeah, I think his last game. Was August third. Okay, that's uh, I don't know how many months that is. It seems like a lot. Nine. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah. Okay. I did it. Math. Um. I just yeah. I think his ceiling is through the roof. Um. No pun intended there. I just I think he yeah I think he's a stud and I think in three four years, I think he could be our best player. I love, I love that take. Me too. I'm not necessarily standing one. on it necessarily. I just love that you have it. But when you call, when you talk about like the, uh, you know how like MVP valuable is such a weird word because you can apply it in so many different ways. Like mm-hmm. I could see Jaron definitely being the most valuable player on the team, even if he's not objectively like the best. See, I agree on the opposite end. I think he could be the legit best, but not the but most not valuable. The, oh, well, there you go. I think Ja will always be the most valuable. Yeah. Because I think everything's going to run through him forever. As long as he's a Grizzly, the ball will be in his hands constantly. He will basically make every decision. But I think Jaron could potentially be the, like, just flat-out best all-around player. Defensively, I mean, that side of the ball is going to be where he distinguishes it. Because offensively, he's got it. His second game back after missing nine months of action, he switched on the perimeter against Damian Lillard and held his own. Yeah. Like, there's not many five, and he's playing the five this whole stretch, right? Not many players in the league, period, much less fives, can do that. And you know what's fun about Jaron, too, is we have been arguing a lot this year about the guys that are probably, like, in the eight, seven to ten range on our roster. Jaron coming back all of a sudden makes a lot of those arguments just not as significant. Because it affects it so much more when you have your top guy back. And we haven't seen that this whole season. And I sort of assume that most of our listener base, the only way they get their Grizz content is from us because, duh, that's all you really need. One of the fun things has been seeing and hearing the national folks being like, oh, this Grizzlies team now, like they've been sleeping and they've forgotten. Like yes. we we've sort of known – what could happen if Jaron comes back and we've speculated what could happen if like Ja Jaron and Justice all together like put it together. But regardless, like just getting Triple J back, now national folks are also saying like 
Man, I think I, I don't want to sleep on the Grizzlies in the in the playing game in the playoffs. I think they could be one of the more fun teams to watch out of Dallas, Portland, and Golden State. And Golden State, you've got Steph putting together this significant run. That's because you've got these young core of guys that are like, oh, we might be looking at like the next sort of like massive contender to see him put it together. So that's like it's also like just revel in the fact that like it's fun like having other people like sort of pay attention to us that way. So I'm you know breaking news. I'm aggregating stuff for you for for there our you base. But to that point, like to your initial point of don't sleep on the Grizz. Like if we were to play Utah in a series, and you'd be like, how many games do you think? I think we would like win two easily. Maybe I'm just really, I don't think really easily is biased, a stretch, but. but we would absolutely it would not shock be competitive. Me if we like made that a legit series. I agree. It just wouldn't. I agree. It like, would be hard to beat us. They may hit a ton of threes, which they always do, but at the same time, like I don't know. It just it wouldn't. They wouldn't like terrify me. Like I, I would. I like the matchups. I do too. Like I just I don't know because Jonas seems to always play really well against good. We're not going to go there right now, but <laughs> I could talk myself into that's like, hey. In two weeks, we will be there. It's crazy. Two weeks. Hey, we've it's we've nuts. beaten a one seed before. That's true. What's that? We've beaten a one seed. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, why not now? Why not? Yeah, that's (laughs) a very similar one seed. So you mentioned justice, and I think that's a good segue. Um, I mentioned this at the top, a a lineup change that has uh, Grizzlies fans and media alike talking a lot is moving justice to the one on the bench unit. Um. A the collateral damage is that Tyus Jones has really not seen any real significant minutes since that change has happened. Which that was in the um, that was in the Denver game, I believe, when we really saw it um, come to a head. But the the first Denver game, the first Denver game, yep. And so, guys, so let's let's I want to hear takes on this um, because. Uh, as Brantley reminded me before the podcast happened, we were talking about Tyus Jones potentially stepping aside um, for other players on our team. Uh, once it came down to the stretch, we were talking about that like four or five podcasts ago. So, uh, not to brag, but we I'm called it. Um, but now that we're seeing it, the manifestation of that, what are, what are reactions? I like it. I really like it. I don't even think it's been that successful yet, but I still really like it. <laughs> Why? I think defensively it gives us a lot. Uh, everyone's big. Even Melton's our smallest player, but he has like a 6'10 wingspan. Um, we're super active. We're super athletic, especially now with Jaron playing the five on the backup unit. And Jenkins loves to go like with all bench units. Um and basically, he's been rolling out Justice, Melton, Bain, BC, and Jaron. On paper, to me, that's like an awesome second unit lineup. You have shooting. You Justice doesn't necessarily have to like stand in the corner and just wait for the ball and either shoot or make like a quick decision pass. He has the ball in his hands and he can create for others. Um, you saw last night he got to the paint several times and against Portland got to the paint several times and made – Good passes, yeah, he still can't shoot at all. Um, his floater's not going in. And one thing Matt Harlick has said on Twitter is that like he can't get all the way to the rim, which is pretty frustrating. Even on his drives, he's having to do that like 
lefty hook like over the defender, it's, which is like a prayer to go in. And it clinks. Yeah, he's still not like getting by defenders, but he's still a really smart player, and I think he's a really good defender. He's also a pretty good rebounder. Um, I just think he provides like more than Tyus can. And maybe I'm wrong in that, but that's just my feeling. But I'm also like a huge Justice Homer. Like I think he's yeah. So I'm probably not the person to ask. I mean, I like it because I think you have to really see what you have in Justice. We have a big decision coming up with him. I think we've got Tyus in the books guaranteed for another two years, regardless, yeah. unless we move off of him. Whereas Justice, we have an option. So you've got to try it. You've got to figure out. I'm sure there's lots of sort of strategic long-term things that the that we're thinking like well what if we i don't know if this is possible what if we resigned him and extended him you know for for less because he's certainly not worth what he's currently getting paid i don't think maybe some team comes and overpays for him this is stupid weak franchise and just and gives him more money um for what they think could happen but he hasn't shown anything so i i only like it in as so as much as it's just evaluating him because if we were trying to really win and like we were like hey look this is the goal for this season is to try to get as high in a seeding scenario as we can because we think that's what's best for our players then playing him right now would be the wrong decision not the right one i think you're not in my mind you're not completely wrong but i think playing him where you're playing him is the most comfortable position he can be in on the floor you're and he still looks like crap. Yeah, he does. You're right. He looks like crap when he shoots. And No, he's he dude, his stats are terrible. To me, it's just like defense, he looks fine and offensively like creating and passing. He's I think he had like five assists last game in limited When was minutes. the last time he had a positive plus minus, you think? Maybe never. Maybe the Houston game when he had 20 points. So, I'm going to just – he minus 13, minus 2, minus 3, minus 8, plus 1, minus 18, minus 2, minus 10. I, dude, I'm just telling you, like – Maybe you're right. Yeah, he, maybe – like, And that's just like one I'm stat in a silo to like obviously fit my narrative. So, no, totally right. get that. Plus minus has a lot to do with it, especially like bench units. Like if, if he's getting crushed in his minus, then that's not great. But I just – I think playing him at, at point guard – makes it as easy as possible for him on offense. I'll say that. He is at his worst when he's just floating on the perimeter waiting to get a pass and shoot a three. I don't think he's taken but like maybe one three a game since he's moved to play point guard. Like he's not shooting a ton of threes anymore. Previously when he was playing on the wing with Tyus with the backup point guard, he shot a lot of threes. He was just standing out in the corner waiting for the kick out and shooting a three and they were hitting the side of the backboard. Yeah, so I agree that he's in the right position to try to maximize yeah, his value. Yeah, that's my point. That's my point. But he's not in. He's not maximizing the Grizz value currently in this year's performance. Yeah, I hate to say it, but I agree. So let me give both sides of this. Um, if you're basically thinking about this as a coaching staff, so Justice playing the one. Uh, what are the pros? Well. If you were to um, put him at the one, it means that you can play two other smaller guys beside him. And two of we, – we have talked at length about Melton, Grayson, and Bain being three legitimate shooters. That allows you to play two of those guys. And it also means that you don't have to – so 
on the flip side, you know, Tyus would be playing the one. He's fine, but he's not considered an awesome shooter. Justice is definitely not a good shooter. That means you can only play one of those guys if Justice Justice isn't Justice at the one. And Tyus share the floor. Exactly. You're very limited on your shooting. The exactly. other side is Tyus is a guy. How how long has it been since the Grizzlies had a true backup point guard that could run an offense that could not turn the ball over that could provide a level of steadiness and game management that you just hadn't had forever? The other intangible part of this too is the fact that the guys in the locker room really love Tyus Jones and you would hate for the organization to prioritize a guy that they're just trying to justify maybe a decision that they would have rethought um, and cut a guy who's super popular. Now that is just, again, that you can't put numbers to that. That's a complete speculation. Yeah. But he just said justice isn't like really loved in the locker room too. Exactly. Like, and and maybe everyone's favorite. Who knows? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the um, I also though believe that if you're going to try it, you need to try it now. And so, we could see Tyus Jones in three games come back and play his normal minutes because they got the data that they needed to know what they needed to do, right. and in the playoffs. And that's the point. Is like think about in the playoffs, which this can segue to talking about John Morant's brilliance, but. In that Portland game, he played all, like, but three or four minutes in that playing game last year. Like, you think that when the playoffs come that John Morant isn't going to be playing way more minutes than he is right now? Like, he is. And Tyus Jones, at that point, isn't really going to get as many minutes as he does in the regular season. Well, I think that was our whole point with, like, when we're talking through, like, something's got to give in the minutes. Right. At some point, someone's got to lose minutes. Exactly. Like, we have too much talent that we're trying to evaluate and figure out what's happening, and... When you look back at the play-in games, Tyus wasn't even hardly active. He didn't even play. And well, he, he was hurt. Right. He but, was like, hurt. But, but, like, the question is, like, based on even on Jaws' performance, like, would he have played that – would he have taken away Jaws' minutes? No, we needed Jaws to be he the played, MVP of our team. He would have played less than 10 minutes in yeah. the game. So the whole point is, like, how do you maximize the roster, the salary you've got, blah, 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 blah. Right. So – Again, like I think we're sort of coming into the a similar conclusion. It's like it's frustrating. I just have a longer term in mind for this roster, particularly for Jaw and Triple J, to where it's like, okay, you got to figure out if Justice can really give you something. Yes. So who would? Yeah. To that point, who would you rather? Like, who do you want to know more about? Tyus or Justice moving forward? Well, Justice, for exactly. sure. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be getting the minutes. No, no, no. I'm, I'm like agreeing. Yeah, that's like confirming your point is that moving forward, if you were to give me like who would I rather like. I'd play Justice over Kyle as much as I love yeah. Kyle. Kyle helps you sure. win now. He's maybe not a long-term piece of the mm. future. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd get I'm that not far. saying like just starting Justice, but I'm saying if you had to choose between in the bench unit, Justice or Kyle – based on a long-term strategy, is Justice, not Kyle. Mm. Yeah, I mean, maybe. But, oh, I think Kyle just brings so much maturity and everything to the so table. So he lifts up your stars, your oh, young yeah. stars. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. I want Kyle playing in my closing five. Well, I'm not saying Justice should be in your closing five. Oh, I would well, never argue that. He can't play. He, he Well, then, yeah. to me, though, that means that I would want Kyle. 
if Justice isn't going to play in your closing five? I was saying choosing him in like in a bench unit scenario. Okay. Well then, yeah. I guess you're. I mean, of course. Like yeah. I want to know whether we have something or nothing. As and and the only way to do that is to to play him. So I I we definitely all agree there. But it is an interesting interesting experiment because you know it's it's not pretty. It's not been pretty. That's the point. Yeah, is like if it worked, then we're all sitting here saying like, oh genius, like. But it hasn't. But we're also like having to think about it long term. Yeah, so. and it's how many games has he played on at this on this Less role? Twenty? Oh, just in general? Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, since he's been a how many Grizzlies games oh, has he played? Definitely less than twenty. It's not a lot. Yeah, and he went a year without playing basketball. Um, and a lot of he's like a hot topic on Grizz Twitter too, because people would be like, "Why is he playing? This was a mistake. We need our front office needs to own up to it and just let him walk this summer." But other people are like, he hadn't played in over a year. He's played in twenty one games. Twenty one games. Yeah, as a Grizzly. Let's just let's just give it a little bit of time. We're not in a rush. I don't think to make like a yeah. We do have to figure out what we want to do this summer. I highly doubt we're just gonna like cut bait. I'm assuming we're gonna pick up his option, let it play out the year, and go from there. Give him a full training camp because apparently this whole summer and off season he was like rehabbing. He wasn't doing a lot of basketball stuff. Let him do some basketball stuff first. Give him the year next year and see where it goes. Like, we have every base, everyone coming back. Our entire roster is coming back under contract through next year, right? It's not like we have three players under contract. We're going to have all this open space. We don't, and we're still fairly young. I think, yeah, I think we, we kind of have a little bit of time on the justice thing. But it has kind of sucked that he hasn't, like, immediately come in and, and been Jimmy Butler light, which is what I want him to be. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about John Morant. Um, First, we, uh, can we, since we're going like player versus player, can we talk about Tillman versus not DC? Yet, not yet. Not yet. John Morant has to be prioritized here. And then we'll get to that. We, oh, well, if I we love have time. This, the moderator jumping start, in. We have no time. way. I'll start and finish the Morant conversation. He's amazing. He is amazing. <laughs> I just wanted to... I. We don't have to dwell on this because everybody knows. There's not we're not like, you know, breaking new ground here with talking about John Morant and how good he is. Um here let me just read the last five games. Okay. Um again at Denver, the double overtime, thirty six points. Um, he shot forty percent from three. Um, he was had twelve assists, eight rebounds. Uh just was amazing. At the Clippers, not a fun game. He had 22 points, but he shot 67% from three. He was four for six. Um, He also had six rebounds, four assists. At Portland, he had 33 points. He shot 33% from three, but he only took three, so he was one for three there. He shot 83% from the line, which is above his season average. He had 12 assists, five rebounds. And then the last two games, at Portland, he had 28 points, he shot 75% from three, three for four. He had eight rebounds, three assists, two steals. And then last game versus Denver, 27 points. He um, also had six assists and six rebounds. My point being, this is becoming a nightly um, stat line that everybody is about to get used to just him having casually averaging 27 points, double-digit assists, and um, also playing a ton of minute or 
over 30 minutes per night is what he's averaging in the last five games. Yeah, he's figured so it out. He's figured like yeah. That's where you know you have a star's consistency. That's what. So I really want to. I don't want to harp on this, but that's what really pisses me off about how people were like, "Oh, I'd rather take Melo." Being Lamelo Ball, like, do y'all remember when we had that discussion? That's what prompted our entire podcast last time. Yep. Kevin O'Connor basically came out and was like, "I'd rather have Lamelo." Guys, it's such a small sample. Okay, Lamelo's had like he's played like. 25 30 games and yeah he shot okay from three jaw started like a little bit of a slump to start the season from three and everyone's like oh man he can't shoot what are they saying about the month of april like things can change really fast with young players shooting over 40 percent in april sample sizes and being like this is what this guy is forever like jaw shoots close to 80 percent from free throws isn't that what everyone tells you is like a more positive and appropriate trajectory for shooting is free throw percentage and jaws always shot well from the free throw line also these threes he's taking are just like some of them are just like step back daggers like i just hate when people do that after a month or two months of playing like people are kind of doing that with the dylan brooks thing right now he's been great he's been okay whoa don't hold hold the dylan talk he's been fine since the the all-star okay we'll get into this later (laughs) but like just People go through peaks and valleys, especially when you're a 21-year-old point guard when literally the weight of the franchise is on your shoulders playing without Jaron the entire season. Like, just just take a step back for a second. Let the guy kind of find his groove. In April, I'm, I don't know the exact stat because, again, my computer died. I think he's shooting like 46 48% from three on like three attempts a game in the month of April. Like what if that? What if he did that to start the season? What would people be saying? Jaws is going to be an all star this year. Like, Put some just, respect on his name. It's just ridiculous. He's he's the best guy under twenty three. Is my take. And who's more exciting, Zion, in the front court, mm-hmm. or like? In, I'm sorry, just like in a fast no break one. scenario. No, no one is more one. exciting. Is Zion more exciting? Also, maybe like Minnesota uh, Zach Levine, but he, he doesn't have the ball from the free throw line all the time. Can I? Can oh. I have a, you know what? I'm going to save it. I'm going to have a section for all my fun stats. We may, might even put some music behind. Guys, it. get ready for part Ooh, four of this podcast. I can't wait to hear the music behind. No, it. this uh, is going to be a four-hour pod. I can feel. it. <laughs> Don't worry, listeners. It's They're not. They're going to all stop listening right now. I know exactly. <laughs> oh, this. Take a look guys. at your phone. All twelve of you. Take a look at your computer. Yes, it's not four hours left. Don't worry. Keep listening. No, John Morant has been spectacular. He's also just. I love seeing these house of highlights or different um, outlets like that, like Twitter accounts slam. and Instagram accounts, slam, like picking up. There's one clip a game from him doing something ridiculous, whether it's the CJ McCollum behind the back uh, last night again, that another behind, behind the back, the back was, against Denver. I just love that it was against CJ too. Yeah. Oh, and the, like uh, CJ, but he's annoying. The uh, alley-oop, I think it was against Chicago when he just reared back. and I mean, he can do – he can do whatever he wants on the floor. How about against Denver? Can, we, can I give us some help? Can I get to himself? <laughs> so I don't know. The game. Will, I don't know if this is in your stats section. One thing that I would love for us just to like compare at some point soon, this is just a hypothesis and intuition that I have, is like his usage has got to be down, in, like not down in comparison to himself, but down in comparison to other stars that we would put on his like kind of caliber, meaning like. Luca, Trey, oh, I see Zion, like those guys demand the think. the demand the ball more and are touching the ball more. But I also feel like Ja plays. I know the ball's in his hands a lot, but he's he's orchestrating the offense 
versus just doing the, the isolation one on one scenario. And it just is like it's a it's a fun. He's got this. I mean, he could. He's athletic enough to where we could just put him in isos the whole time. So this is going to go back to maybe Jenkins' offense and just like leveraging him in a good basketball way to where I feel like it is going to be able to maximize his talents in a way that allows us to really compete. Because I really – Bill Simmons is this way, and there's other folks that are this way. I really don't think that the that like the isolation sort of Houston Rockets a la James Harden's type of offense is a, is a way to really um, compete long-term in a championship-type way. Like, whereas – with Jaws athleticism, we're we're building like a bas- a true basketball mindset that I think is gonna allow us to have I'm not saying we're gonna win. The championship is gonna have maximum upside to it. So just to put some numbers to your point. Am I wrong? Jaw has a twenty seven point seven percent usage this season. Luca has a thirty six point six. Where does so, I mean, Jaw rank in the league? Do you have that number? I don't. I just looked up Lucas particularly okay. to compare Luka's, it. I, that's probably like one or two. Exactly. He's so he I is. bet Jaw's still like rider hovering around like maybe top ten. But to your point, Brantley, is that what really kills these other ball dominant players is when they don't have the ball, they might as well not even be on the floor. Like if you remember James Harden, like he would literally pass the ball and just go stand. Yeah, he's just not somewhere active. off the perimeter of the floor and just stand there. Like wouldn't do like people. That's why people knock Dame so much. If Dame doesn't have the ball, he's not cutting. He's not doing anything else for his teammates. Like Jaw's a great off the ball player. Ask Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson throws him like two lobs a game because Jaw's a great cutter. Like he mm. can do other things off the ball, and he's willing to give it up, which is also awesome. And that probably speaks to Jenkins, like you were talking about, and just the whole offensive scheme is that. Ja, yes, he can man the ball. He pretty much has to for us to have a good offense, right? He has to be in command of the ball. But when he's off the ball, he also does good things as well. Man, but, y'all want to know where Ja ranks in usage in the NBA? Was I right? This Top is 10? fun. I'm gonna say you couldn't gonna say be farther nine. from being right. Ooh, wow. First, before we reveal this, let's okay. do, just for our listeners, what is usage rate? Usage rate is essentially they're mapping out. There's there's these just incredible systems now where they can map uh the amount of of the basically percentage of a game where you are um either have the ball or yeah it's mostly just having the ball because it's like you initiating shooting just how much time do you have possession of the ball so you what do you say jaws was again so jaw the highest usage rate in the league is joel Embiid. okay second highest is luka Doncic. okay Ja is 39th. That's in the surprising. League. I know so he's like 26. But it's a good minute, that's a good percent. thing. So yeah. basically if if Ja were to play 100 minutes, he would have the ball in his hand for 26. Point whatever minutes. Right. He is right around Ja is CJ McCollum, Jeremy Grant and Anthony Davis. So what that shows me is that Ja the fact that we think he is just has that much usage, but it is where it is, is a great well, sign. If Dylan was on our team, that would jump up by like probably 10 points. Yeah, it's true. So that's actually a great point. <laughs> um, yeah, sign so up. So, Dylan, thank you. You're helping me make my point. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Go, um, <laughs> okay. So, Jaw's amazing. We love him. Um, and it's just, it's just freaking awesome that he can go toe to toe to Dame with Dame. Yes. And loves it. 
and like his eyes bring light it up when like, he plays against those guys. Dude, like it's incredible that we have that talent. Just enjoy it. It's like if you're not watching us go against those types of talents and like the the big John Knights bringing it, I'd like. I don't know what you're doing like with your life. Like, the fact that we're a rival to Portland who should be, like, a well-established, like, all their guys are, like, definitely they're in their, prime, in their prime or past their prime. And we're, like, this young, scrappy, like, our best player's 21, and we're, like, their rival. That, I mean, is man, Portland Portland's our Portland. rival, right? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. would say. That just sucks for them because they should be, like, way ahead, of the, way ahead of us. Yep. We're, like, up and coming, and they're, like, just the term, like, they epitomize established. Agreed. Yeah, they're definitely a rival. I think there's just a lot of fun comparisons to just John Dame being the two best players on the teams and also being in a similar, uh, like, quote-unquote smaller market. Um, and, yeah, it's just fun. It's always a fun game against Portland. We got them uh, tomorrow night or tonight when you're listening to this podcast. So, um, yeah, let's move on then to our last couple of, I guess you could say, lineup analyses, which are <laughs> – um, the BC versus Tillman debate, which um, I'm framing that for this podcast. I don't know if it, I mean, it, we do talk about how at some point that's going to need to be prior, like they're going to have to choose. That's no, n- not anytime soon, thankfully, but it's fun to talk about. And then the other one is Dylan. We Wait, can mention. Why do you mean it's not anytime soon? Because it's not. Why, why would they need to choose? You're talking about contract stuff, though. Like they're both under contract exactly. for like three or four more years. Exactly. There's, and they're very team-friendly, and you yeah. want – like, those are two very valuable players compared to what they're being paid and can help your team a lot. We like both of them. Is we, that is totally. that is yes. that right to say? Yes. We I do agree. like both of we them. We enjoy both of them. However, you can still have preferences. So, um, And boy, do we have preferences. We do have potentially differing preferences. Um, oh, man, you just ruined it. Here, Will. I'll just Getting. make the case real quick for uh, BC, and this will probably be real quick. So. I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ty sure it won't Smith take you long. But. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm going to pull out of my fun stats um, here the one that I was most excited to share. So I did some lineup analysis um, yesterday, and I because I was just interested in I, I wasn't looking for anything in particular. I wasn't trying to cherry pick stats. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did was, was I that an accusation. I went on. I just know the aggregate. Our aggregators are gonna. Um, I hate the aggregators. I know. So I t- went to NBA.com. If you want to waste a lot of time, Back that's where you should stats. go. Yes, great, great. Spot so to go. I went to the lineup area um, of the site, and I was searching around about the Grizzlies and I did uh, lineups. I didn't do, I did three person lineups. So basically this is ranking what have been the best three person lineups all season long for the Grizzlies. And the way that you measure this is net rating, which is the difference between offensive rating and defensive rating. Offensive rating is essentially um, how many points you scored with these three lineups on average um, per uh, 36 minutes. And, or per 100 possessions, and then defensive rating is how many points did you allow per 36 minutes, and then net rating is the difference. And so um, I did minimum 100 minutes of playing with each other. So pretty good sample there. And the top lineup, can you guess what the You're top lineup grinning. is? Is it just Brandon Clark times three? Is it just Brandon <laughs> Clark, Brandon Clark, Brandon <laughs> Clark? That's right. It is John Morant, unsurprisingly. Okay. Sure. 
D'Anthony Melton and Brandon Clark. That makes sense. How many minutes have they played? 100 on the dot? 190. Okay. Together, which is a pretty good amount when you yeah. look at the lineup minutes because it's not often that certain combos are on the floor a lot together during a game, um, unless it's like the starters that are on a very established team. Yeah. And so net rating there is a 23.8, which means they're averaging 122 points uh, per 100% possessions and a defense rating of 97.7. It's really good. Less which is really good. And yeah. I think that's the key is Brandon Clark and DeAnthony Melton are two players where they do a lot of things that do not show up on the stat sheet necessarily. So if you're trying to make a statistical argument for either of them, that's not going to be sufficient to me. I think it really is a, a situation where you have to watch the games. And yes, like Brandon Clark, of course, it's really annoying when he gets down to his spot which last year he was setting records for efficiency, and so our expectations were sky high, and he's missing some shots down low that he should be hitting because he doesn't shoot for, you know, but 10 feet away and in. And so I think there's some frustration there on his end, but there's so many little things that he does just because of his hustle. And it's the same with Milton. And I also think Tillman does a lot of those same things, but I think that too often we expect something out of Brandon that that's not always going to be met. And I think it sometimes will detract from what he does well that we can't always see if we look at the stats afterwards. But I also think that Tillman is a lot like that as well. So, I mean, they're two very good players. And I get why if Brandon isn't playing well offensively that it would make sense to put Tillman in. And I wouldn't necessarily be opposed. Like, if anything, like I'm on the camp of, I think you give Brandon the minutes now because he is more in your system. He's, you know, Tillman's a rookie. It's just kind of like I'm okay with that seniority right now. But last year, like with Brandon Clark being a rookie, you probably would have, like, disagreed. Like you would have wanted him to play probably over Kyle Anderson last year. Uh, Not being who Kyle Anderson is now, absolutely you would have. I would have. Regardless of seniority, I'd rather BC have played over Kyle Anderson last year. I mean, if he's going to be that efficient for sure. So, I mean, yeah, there's always arguments, I think, if a guy's significantly outplaying them. But the if you look at stats for Brandon Clark and Xavier Tillman in any category, they are neck and neck. They're like, it's it's weird. Because I was trying to make this argument and trying to back up yeah, back it up with stats. The, I would love to know, like, their past 10 games or, like, their past 12 games. Not, like, season average stats. Right. I don't have that in front of me. Once again, third time, computer died. <laughs> But Dude, did you not plan for this podcast? I planned so hard, my computer died. Do we need to talk um, about this? I get your point, though, a hundred percent. What do you want to know about the past ten games? I just want to know the their two stats, like paralleled next to each other. It, there's, I'm, I'm the telling you, similar. maybe they are like truly the same. Weird, and I think that's what I th- I would say that like that's been my like sort of just weird thing watching both of them is that. I mean, is I think we all like BC's just having a, a he's having a worse year than what he had last year. Yeah, and like some we've talked about it a good a decent amount. Like it could be like he really misses ha- playing next to Jaron. Like Jaron extends the floor, BC doesn't really, so he's able to work in the paint more because the center's extending out on Jaron or whomever the better defender is, and that allows BC to take advantage of a, of a you know a worse defender. I don't know. I don't have. I can't like necessarily prove that. I also, no, I think you're right. My hypothesis also, and I don't know if this is true. I'd love to just see how many minutes did Ja and BC play with each other last year, 
versus the, like how are they averaging this year maybe per game. I feel like they're playing – Ja and BC are playing less together this year than last year like because they were closing together a whole lot more. I just don't feel like BC has been doing that as much this year as, as, as last year. And and that's been sort of like – I don't know if they're just trying to play around with roles or see what they've got with Tillman because I feel like I'm seeing Tillman more with Ja. So he's benefiting from playing with Ja. Um, which is make which the eye test again. This is just my general non you know statistical analysis. So y'all could say you're wrong. He is playing equal, but I just that is sort of the weird thing with this whole debate is that Tillman right now has just seemed like the better like he just seems like the better fit on the team. But now that we've got our full roster back, I don't know what will what will feel like once Jaron's out there. Does he need a Tillman or does he need a does he need a BC? That's what I mean. Is if it's about Jaron now, and it makes this debate now a little bit, just a tiny bit less significant, and now it becomes about fit. So right. it's like, but we've yet to see Tillman and Jaron play together. Exactly. Um, and we saw a lot of two Spartans, Jaron and BC last year, and it worked great. They closed games together all the time, and it was like this is. This is why we did it. This is why we picked Brandon. Right. This is literally proving all of our points. Yeah. So I think I would love to see Jaron and I would love to see Jaron play with both of them and just kind of see what happens. And I think Jaron will enter the starting lineup soon. They've already said before the end of the year. And Brantley, to your point, like last year, Kyle Anderson was playing the three. Now he's playing the four. So that like BC's already like kind of exactly in a, in a different spot this year than he was last year. Um, but yeah, I just I don't doubt the stats. But just like I was saying, the we were on a little text text thread when I mentioned like, hey, should Tillman be playing ahead of BC? And Will like basically just laughed in my face and was like, just wait. <laughs> and I was like, well, I test to me is screaming Tillman because he's hit. I feel like every corner three he lets go. I'm like, oh, that's probably gonna go in. And he's hitting these floaters like on the like he'll kind of do a little short roll, get the ball like maybe right around the free throw line and do this little push shot. I feel mm-hmm. like it never misses. Right, and this is what Brandon was doing last year, and I feel like he's just a really smart, good defender. Which I think Jokic put up forty-seven the other night in the double overtime. And I was like, "Man, Tillman played great defense." <laughs> then I was like, "Wait a second, Jokic just had forty-seven, so the, clearly he didn't." The subtleties in their games are super interesting because I do feel like they provide that same offensive. Like if you looked at their shot charts, I believe that they would be very similar. Very besides similar. the Tillman threes, yeah. Cause, but it's funny because Brandon had that last year, and for some reason, totally. something's something's off with that. But also at the same time, it's funny because Tillman, I feel like, when if push comes to shove, he's a guy that you can put on fives. Yeah. And if push comes to shove with Brandon, he's a guy you can put on fours. Okay. So, it's so like, do you think that Tillman is shooting better from three this year than Brandon last? year? No, I don't uh, think so. Probably think not. Brandon shot like 38% last year. Brandon was 36% last yeah. year. This year, Tillman is 32. This year, Brandon is 28. Which or 29. Are, that's Tillman probably also like, started out like 0 for his first like 25 from 3. That's probably w- averaging, what, 1.1 a game or something Both, like that? Both, all around 1 to 1.1. 1. 1. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's so, like the number, the volume is sort of similar, which is why I was just yeah. saying like the seasonal average. And That's a great point, though. Tillman has gotten a lot better. So it's just interesting that like BC, my whole premise with BC has just been, I don't think we're ever going to get a better season than what we got out of him last year. But so, if we get that season forever, great. Well, I mean, Even yeah. if that's his ceiling. You would resign, really you, you'd pay Absolutely. him $9 to $10 million a year for just last Absolutely. season. Absolutely, yep. I'm saying that I don't, I don't, 
I hope I'm wrong because I love I love the moments with BC. I love that we drafted him. We went nuts. Like he seems to fill on great. He's got great athleticism. I just don't think we're ever going to get that again. I think he's going to change a shot every other year potentially. I I think this has been the knock. I think on that's him. pretty bold. Okay, though. fine. I'm, there's I've so just made... much. There's so like that's the thing is like three years from now we could be he could be a completely. You can call Another me level. out. This is why we're, we're yeah, yeah. We got a podcast. Baby I'm making a this take. Is, this is why we press the little red button. I'm making a take. I don't. I I don't know if we're gonna get. That's why I felt like we might could have sold high on him. I want to make one lasting point. That's it. That's all. That's my point. No, that's a, I just don't want to see Tillman completely out of the rotation. I agree. Like even if BC, even if BC gets a DNP CD, you know. And Tillman gets. I just want. I don't want to see Tillman just complete. Now that we're all healthy, he just doesn't play anymore. I do. I do not want to see that. I think he's earned minutes, and I don't think the discrepancy between the two has. I don't think you can favor Brandon over Tillman that heavily to where Tillman just play, never plays. You can't play all of them. You can't you play Jaron, JVBC, and Tillman. But per game, like it could change every game. Like you were yes. saying, how like Tyus in three days may take the backup spot back or something like that. I just w- I do not want to see Tillman not get any minutes for the rest of the season just because we're all healthy. So, Even if that means Brandon doesn't play a game and Tillman does, I think Tillman has earned that, and I think he's worth those minutes. Agreed. This is my point. Here's what I love about both of these players. They are two players where they can immediately make impacts in very small amount of minutes. And so... I don't think that it's crazy to try them both in a game for five minutes apiece, see what's going on, and then make a decision. But I do agree in the playoffs that's not going to happen. Like they're just they're going to have to pick one or the other, depending on foul trouble. That's about the only thing that's going to change it. And some of, and they, I mean, I do feel like that they can fit and match up series sort of scenarios. Oh yeah, because if they're playing, they're both the same a height, bigger lineup. Than, one's a little bit bigger than the other, right? One's more vertical than the other. Although Tillman would argue with me if I made that point based on his dunk that he had the other night. Yeah, that's true. All right, so really quickly, we've referenced a lot of these different games, but um, what's been the low point and the high point of the <laughs> last six to eight games for you guys? The Dallas game was such a low point. There are three low points that are. Uh, that's I, I didn't true. believe that night either. Yeah, I couldn't. I was in disbelief. Um, and just I journaled about it. It it You're was so weird. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> it was so weird though because have you ever did y'all have the same feeling as me when he let it go? My mind immediately went to, dang, I can't believe we're going to overtime. I'm an Ole Miss fan. I knew it was a three. Did you? I didn't. I really thought it was a but two. But you were there. No, I wasn't there. Okay. I was at the Milwaukee game when Drew there. hit the last second shot. Okay. Um, In this stretch, since we've last um, gotten together, we've had the overtime loss against the Knicks, which was just won a the collapse. Game. I think we had a nine-point lead with like three minutes we left did. or something. Like we did. If you play that win. game out 100 times, we win 95. Um. Dallas, we had the last second shot. My least favorite was the Clippers game. I think it's the most inexcusable game of the season. They literally had their whole team out, and they were starting a guy whose last name is Coffee. 
who I didn't even know was in the in freaking NBA. Do the Clippers have a G League team? They played on that night. <laughs> <laughs> so that to me was the. I mean, Luca. When you lose to a freaking superstar, like after the initial shock, you can at least say, okay, he does this to everybody. He did it to the Lakers the other night. Like, miraculous stuff. When you lose to the freaking Clippers without Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Rajon Rondo, Serge Ibaka, the list goes on. Like, unbelievable. And just to add to that, we did a uh, NBA Wotes draft, and my last pick was Marcus Morris, and just to see him beat the Grizzlies was also just a gut punch. And the fact that Jaron's return, which was really impressive, was just completely spoiled by that game. So, okay, so Dallas, we got Clippers. What about high points? We had a lot of good games as well in this stretch. I think you could pick either. Uh, to me, it's – I know the Milwaukee thing was really impressive, but to me, I want to, like, lump the two Portland games together. The fact that we were, I think, three games back from them entering – those and we beat them back to back and got within like a game or I think now we're like a game and a half after the Denver loss for the seven seed was huge yep and we went like into their house very like they're trying to win they're trying to solidify a playoff spot so are we they should be like we talked about earlier they they're the more established team right they're the ones that should know how to win these type games and we go up in there and just like big boy them from the start and jaw was unguardable and basically was just doing stuff like he was playing on a playground the whole time. Jaron had a great game on one of those. So to me, like I'm, I'm putting the two Portland wins like into one just big, huge high point. Well, Ty basically took the argument because he took both games. <laughs> <laughs> so okay, I'll go with the first one. Then. So I'm just gonna say I just love the fact that we beat the Bulls because you know they're a team that were vying for a playoff position. You could beat them ar- twice. Um, yeah, and you can I, lump those two. I'm not gonna lump them. I'm gonna talk about the one before the Bucks when we were in Chicago yep. on a Friday night, and I just, I some it's just. Look, like when you compare our franchise to like other franchises where I think sh- would I think envy where we're at. I think there's a lot of franchises right now you could bucket in the like, man, I wish we were where the Grizzlies were based on where we want to go. The Bulls are one of them and we whip that ass. So, and potentially future Grizz Zach Levine got uh, to see his his uh playing team whip up on him. Although it. I'm kind of maybe off the Zach Levine thing, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, it was just I mean, they went for it. And I, the other piece that I just I just love to continue to bring out because this is where my brain works is that I don't know like that front office took a risk by going after Vucevic and it's not paying off. Now maybe it'll pay off next year. And I just that was a big risk. That was a big leap. We've taken some calculated small risks. The justice thing, eh, I don't know, sort of a risk. Not really. I mean, we can get off it quickly. So I just you know some of the things that we I just I was thinking about this actually this morning is that I just love, I continue to love where we're at and that at some point we're going to have to cash in and make a big risk and it's going to hopefully not turn out like Chandler Parsons did. So I just, there's some other teams like the Pelicans and you know, the Hawks and the Bulls and the Kings that I think would want to be on our same trajectory. Some have taken risks, some haven't. And I don't know. Yeah, like to your Hawks point, like this may be the best they'll ever be. 
which is like kind of sad for them. When Trey's out, yeah, it's the best that they're going to be. too, but like they've they spent so much cap space this summer. Like their trajectory, they have to like they truly have to develop within these next few years to get better. Like they are hoping that the players that they already have on their roster, their young guys continue to go up. That to me puts a cap on your ceiling, right? Because they can't really do much outside of that. They can't really go make other big moves in the offseason because they, they gave Danilo Gallinari like $60 million, right? Like they gave Bogdanovich is locked in for four years. He's like 28. He's a lot older than you think he is. Where we are like just getting started. And that's what's like fascinating that we're already ahead of them, like the Bulls and the wins loss, which we shouldn't be. Levine's like in his prime. He's like 25, 26 years old. Like, yeah, it's just, it's crazy that we're just kind of like scratching the surface of being a developed team and we're already in the eighth spot in the loaded West, which is nuts. I think my high point is because definitely those were like, we mentioned Chicago, we mentioned both Portland and then you had also referenced Milwaukee. And the, the fact is we were heading out on our seven game road trip, which is the longest um, in Memphis franchise history. I think we had one in Vancouver at one point. But we had the game right before you headed on the re- that road trip was the Dallas game when Luka made this, and it's completely deflating, and it's all about how you bounce back. And so the first game in Chicago, we won. That was huge. And then you get an unexpected win in Milwaukee. What I'm I'm about to make the argument, you could have gone 7-0 on this road trip, oh, which is absurd. Except because for this, Except for the last night's Maybe game not, December. but at the same time, when you look at it on paper, Denver's missing Murray and Barton, who really killed you in the double overtime loss. And so it's like going in, obviously, like you don't expect them to win, especially playing against the MVP. But through three quarters, they they were neck and neck. And so it's like unbelievable that that was even in the cards because we were in the last podcast really looking at the schedule like, all right, you got to take advantage of this, these this early games the stretch, yeah. because this is the stretch where you're going to actually get challenged. And it ended up flipping. Like we blew a bunch of games that we shouldn't have, and we won a bunch of games that we yeah. That's a great point. Like it, that is kind of, I think, completely unexpected and a little charming in that way. So I think there are positives and negatives, obviously, from this stretch. All right, very quickly, um, I'll throw some music in here. I'm going to go through some stats. We've had a lot of games um, through this season, so I think there's a very good sample size for these, and these are more so team stats. That I'm, I think y'all are going to enjoy. So, in the NBA, steals per game. The Memphis Grizzlies are first on this list in steals per game at 9.4 average. Um, 76ers, Timberwolves, Pacers, and Raptors round at the top five. We're up by a full .5. That's pretty cool. Assists per game. The Grizzlies are third in the NBA. Um, Golden State, Denver, Grizzlies, and Suns. That's a pretty good company to be in right there. And they're all within like three-tenths of uh, a, an assist of each other. Rebounds per game. Memphis Grizzlies, fourth in the NBA. Right behind Utah, Milwaukee, and New Orleans. Deflections per game. I love that stat. Memphis Grizzlies, second in the NBA. Just right behind the Indiana Pacers. They have a section in this stats in these team stats that are just called miscellaneous and there's three of them mm-hmm. they're fast break points second chance points and points in the paint we are first in the NBA in all three if you look 
16.9 fast break points per game. And I wanted to bring that up when you were talking about just jaw in the open court. Like, that's it. Off yeah. of makes, too. Yes. It's just it's stupid. Second chance points. We're leading the NBA with 15.2 per game. Points in the paint. Uh, leading the NBA by a full two points. 56.2. And then this was <laughs> a really fun one. Box outs per game. Jonas Valanciunas tied with Bam Adebayo for there first in the NBA. At four point one per game, like box, box out. Yeah. When you were reading those stats, like I had two faces come to mind. Like D'Anthony's face popped up. Yes. And Jonas's face popped up. It's when the you little kept things. About that. Like deflections. I think of Carl Anderson and D'Anthony Melton in these categories. And this rebounds, just Jonas just gets everyone because they're the unappreciated guys. And so I thought that was. I was shocked to see the Grizzlies in the top five in the NBA in all of those categories. Some traditional, some advanced, some just hustle. Yeah, I think the hustle are my favorite ones um, to see the Grizzlies up there. So um, even if it doesn't show up on the stat sheet, it just shows a, a team that wants it, which is fun. Do you think that those are reasons why we're like sort of outperforming our coverage right now? I think that is the those are the numbers behind what we're seeing for sure. Definitely. Um, OK, so let's do a quick standings look. Um, the next time we talk, we'll have only a few games left before the end of the season. OK. Right now, the Grizzlies are in the eighth seed, and they are um, really neck and neck. So the, they're tied with the Spurs right now. In Start record. with Dallas. Where's Dallas? Dallas is at the six. Okay, they're thirty-three. And okay, 22. so that's okay. a good good point, Ty. So the Lakers right now are the fifth seed. Okay, they're not eight catching them. eight games back from the first. Okay. And I'll do I'll I'll categorize this by games back. Okay. Lakers are eight games back. Mavericks are a six seed with ten and a half. So there's okay. a pretty clear yeah. drop off there. Trailblazers are eleven and a half. So they're a game back from the Mavs for the six seed. And that's where we want to go, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. It is in our sights to get to the six seed. That's why the Mavericks game again was just so just deflating. Grizzlies, though, are in that eighth spot. Okay. They're twelve and a half games back. They're one game back of Portland. We can regain that game um, tomorrow night. So we can be tied with them if we beat them tomorrow night. Spurs are tied with us right now. We're, Grizzlies and Spurs are both 12 and a half games back from the one seed. And then the Warriors are a half game back from us. In the 10th um, spot, correct? In the 10th okay. spot. And then New Orleans is like way New Orleans there. is now is four games under the one state. It's, it's okay, so we have five teams. Dallas, Portland, Memphis, San Antonio, and Golden State. Yeah. Um, those five teams, of course, all want the six seed number one. But from there... If we can get to the seventh seed, I feel really good. I mean, I, I would love Seven to get to the sixth. We just got to win one game. So, with that in mind, let's look at strength of schedule. Y'all ready for this? SOS. So, we are tied right now, like I said, with the San Antonio Spurs. Right now, with with uh, the remaining schedule left, they have 12 games left to play. They have the first Remaining strength of schedule, which means it's the hardest. Love that. So San Antonio has to play the Jazz twice, Phoenix twice, Brooklyn, and Philly. Yeah, they do, they they go home with twelve games left. Yeah, there's six losses. So the Grizzlies have the easiest schedule in the entire Let's league. Go. Left. Tell okay? us who we have left, Will. So the three toughest games we have left, which and they're the exact three I would want. We have Portland win. Dallas win. and Golden State. Win! Golden State is the last game of the season, and it's in Golden State. Here's the worry. 
Steph Curry is having a career year, and at that point, it'll be really close to the scoring title. He might want to go off. That would suck. However, um, watch party. Put DeAnthony Melton on him. Put the DeAnthony on him. Is that on a Friday? Is that a Friday night? A hundred percent. Boxing one on Steph. So, as far as the easiest opponents, we have a game against the Wolves, two against the Magic, one against the Pistons, and two against the Kings. So, like, we have the easiest remaining schedule. Pretty sure De'Aaron Fox is out. I don't know if he'll be out then, but I know he's out now. Yeah, I mean, so he who may knows? be out too, and that's like their only hope. Here's the here's the problem. Golden State is twenty fifth, so they have a pretty easy schedule. Another problem: Dallas is twenty eighth, so they basically both have very similar strength of schedules as us. The interesting part of this is like when we were restarting this second half of the season, one of the key components is the Grizzlies are going to have to play way more games than a lot of other people. It is now to the point of the season though where it's equal. Mm. So the Grizzlies have 12 games left, and that's right in line with everybody else. So we've gotten through the hardest part. We've gotten through the seven-game road, road trip with a winning record, and we're now we have the easiest schedule left in the NBA. It is right in front of the Grizzlies. Mm. So there's reasons to be optimistic, and uh, let's just get it done. Let's do it. Let's take care of business against Portland to start this off. So in a really weird way, this is other than like Steph scoring title of those teams, I like our chances against all of them except for the Spurs. For some reason I just have Spurs. I just really? if okay, so let's just say like all things equal, we play them in a playing game scenario. Oh, you're saying you don't want to play I don't want to play the Spurs. Okay. I agree. I just think that for some reason they've got our number. Like I just I don't know. They did well against us in play in the bubble last year. Like they also th- beat us the first game of the season, <laughs> which is scarred in our memory. Back to back, we did this year to like start like a big like win streak. We were like, okay, the Grizzlies are figuring things out. I don't, I don't like the Dejounte Murray against Jaw matchup because yeah. he is Jaw went freaking he animal. Could have like fifty in the opening night though. No, that's true. I think like forty four points. That's or true. Um, How are y'all? Y'all know no, no, no. Steph is I, the I scariest think... human alive. So was Dame. Steph is terrifying right now. <laughs> he is. All right, so like if I were to see him in the streets, I'd run away from him. Here's the deal: if we were to actually, <laughs> that's how scary he is. If we were to actually play out like the rest of the season has, as the data would would say is most likely, we're not going to have to worry about the Spurs because they're probably going to be just gasping for air at the end of this, and they're probably going to be in the ten spot. So. Chances are we're going to be in the six through eight. We're going to be Portland. It's going to be us in Portland. That seven and eight, us in Portland. That is uh, seems to be the most likely yeah, outcome. It's going to happen. We would. That would be fantastic to be in the seven. Yeah. Because also, we're the uh, top of the standings to hold. Utah and Phoenix are. I mean, that's upset. Uh, watch right totally. there. Totally. So okay, um, let's finish out this this podcast with our um, segments, which we'll go through very quickly. Thanks for hanging with us. There's a lot of fun fun topics, though, on this podcast, for sure, for any Grizzlies fan. But thanks for staying with us. Um, first one, we'll do Grizz History Moment. Um, on this day, when we're recording April 27th, this is on this day, we actually um, beat the Los Angeles Clippers in Game 3 of the playoffs after we went down 0-2. And we ended up winning four straight after four that straight. to beat them in the first round. And that's the year in 2013, of course, that we went to the Western Conference Finals. 
So that run started with Great two series. playoff losses against a an opponent that you don't want to lose to, and we had a lot of baggage with. And so um, that was, you could say this is that was the most important win of the entire season, um, was to bounce back after going down 0-2. Um, man, fun Didn't times. Did we kill them? It wasn't like a blowout. Oh, yeah. Because game two. Because we came back to Memphis. CP3 hit like a crazy like game winner over right. Tony. And we like outplayed them, but they just kind of like, I feel like they like went on a run late and Chris Paul hit like a good shot. And then after that, like the whole series, it was just like after game three, it was like, oh, of course we're the better team. I want to say we like threw my phone on my double digit wins like multiple times after that. Maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, who's to say? Who's to say? Okay, um, now we're gonna get to our top shot update. Brantley, is there? Are you still in a hold position? I'm in a hold position, although I have expanded (laughs) into other forms of cryptocurrency. Oh, including um, Ethereum and Turtle. uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) Friend of the podcast, Ryan Turtle. Did convince me, and I will say that what I did put in on Friday is up like 150 percent. Follow. This so has high. turned to a uh, crypto update. Yeah, yeah. We may have a spinoff podcast at some point <laughs> of Brantley just talking random nonsense about just like NFTs and crypto. So y'all stay tuned because I have no idea what I'm talking about. But it would spin-off. be really fun to talk about GDP spinoff. Yeah, what's up? Um, all right. Bets of the week. Um, I put in our actual bets that are um, we've we've all put in. Did you uh, do so any far. analysis on who's likely to win thus far? Who, who do you not, think is the best bets? Um, I'm not gonna lie, it's me. Um, <laughs> so Brantley, so far, his first bet was Washington to make the playoffs. Not looking as bad anymore. Hey, oh, like dude, they're going they're gonna make the playoffs. Plus three thirty, Charlotte. That's not the play in though. That's they that's gotta, like they, they got to get out of the plan. So Charlotte then division winner plus seven hundred. That's not looking good. Uh, James Harden for MVP. It was kind of funny. I actually listened back. Did you do that? Who did that? Brantley did. It was funny though because we just, he he oh, put in the bet. The worst. He put in the bet. This was how it went out. I I I, I trust me. I went to the tape. Um, <laughs> you said James Harden and. We never gave odds, and so I don't know what those odds are that we had that you had at the time. I bet it. Hold on a second. Oh, you did. Let's go. You put that crypto money on. I it. do a dollar on everything I did. Hold on. Okay, so while you're looking for that, Ty's bets were New Orleans Southeast Division winner the plus five fifty of all time. That one's already lost. Philadelphia 76ers to win the title plus twelve hundred. Still love it. Twelve to one, and then Phoenix to win the West at twelve to one. Yeah. So love Ty. That too. Had some three I guess some pretty bet. good it was long plus shots. Plus seven fifty, nice. Okay, and then I had Brooklyn to win the finals at three to one. That's I had Phoenix to win the division at plus three thirty, and then I had a Clippers finals winner at plus five hundred. And now it is Clippers time to win it all. Yeah. Huh. Now it is time for us to put in our fourth bets. We only have two more of these to put yeah. in yeah. before the end of the season. Yeah. So this one and next. Yeah, and that'll be our portfolio. I may need one of y'all to look up some odds for me. What you need? What's Jokic <laughs> on the MVP right now? I know he's at minus, but oh, let me really let me pull that up. Look. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. You don't want a, minus. This was an unprepared but you, bet. Just just think yes. about this, guys. Just to remind everybody of what the competition is. 
we're going to basically we're saying each of us put a hypothetical hundred dollars on each of these and that's kind of our portfolio and whoever yields the most at the end wins yeah. this contest so it's not always you know about getting the long shot sometimes sometimes it's just about winning uh so ty it could be in your favor but i don't want to tell you what to do and What's what not milwaukee to do to win the east milwaukee to win the east yep is plus 350. Let's do it. So that's to, they'll be the finals representative from the East. Yes, not win the title, just win okay. the East. Yep. Plus 350. So Ty Smith Sr., Milwaukee, to win the East. Brantley, what is your bet? This is more of a strategic play um, for me to try to catch up and just. Hedging. Um, he's because a, I think I've got one. He's a hedger. Out of the three you just read me, I think I've got one winner potential. Okay. Which is which one? The Washington. One. Okay. Because my Charlotte one, uh, you know, injuries really hurt me there. I like so. If if, if the thing that I was going to try to do to hedge on that bet, by the way, was it to make the playoffs bet? And we're doing this on FanDuel. FanDuel does not currently have a bet that I would like to make. So, FanDuel, presenting sponsor, I'm really frustrated that you don't have the Hornets to make the playoffs because that's just one thing that I wanted to do because, you know, I just wanted to try to make that bet. So, it's not there. So, I'm going to hedge, and this is a massive long shot. (laughs) I'm ready for it. But I'm going to bet on Steph Curry to win the MVP at plus 1200. Oh my wow. gosh. He's third. All right. So currently you really in the race. you really need the Warriors to win a lot of games. It's not impossible. Be, if he were, if he keeps if he keeps like averaging like 36 37 points wins the scoring title, there's going to be a rigorous debate. You might need a Jokic injury too. And and a weird like like Jokic a injury. five game absence. The Nuggets slide significantly. Yep. It's it's a long shot. I get it. And I also I love it though. I, I hope Steph wins. It. I, just, I would love that. It just people love Steph. All right. That's those. a good bet. Uh, it's really not. It's it's a good fun bet. But I do have a dollar. Twelve hundred. I mean, come on. If you win that, that's that's I'm right. You can win that's the great. contest. Um, all right. So I'll only put a thousand on. I like. I'll say, let's just say I like where I sit right now in the contest. And so what I'm going to do. All right. Here we go. What I'm going to (laughs) do is I'm going to take the Los Angeles Lakers to win the West at plus 175. Of course. It makes a ton of sense. Of course you would do that. I can't believe that they have plus odds right now. I have a bet on them to win win the title at plus 350. That's pretty good. Yeah, because it's like they're not not the best odds. And LeBron and AD are about to come back with a vengeance. Yeah, so I'm going AD Lakers to win the like West plus 175 in the second round. Listen, lose in the in the West Finals. I can't wait. He's going to all get it together. Milwaukee, you know, guess what, you know what Milwaukee like has? Do you know what the Milwaukee win the title is? Is it 12 sure, like, to 1? Plus 1000. It's sure plus 750. Yeah. Plus 750. Okay. Well, they're I the team that, that nobody thinks is going to go. Exactly. Yeah. That's my favorite part about it. They're um not in the spotlight anymore. Let's see where the Grizz are for fun. Ooh. 
conference winner, conference winner. Can y'all guess what the Grizz are? Western Conference champ. Thirty-five hundred. Five thousand. Plus five thousand. I'm sticking with plus five thousand. Uh, plus twenty five hundred. Plus nine thousand. <laughs> Ninety to one odds. If you want to take the Grizz, put a dollar on it. On Fanduel, I'm looking at plus twelve thousand. Where are you looking at? I'm looking at DraftKings conference winner. DraftKings. That's not. That's not presenting sponsor yeah. of the Grizz Empire. We're Fanduel. Okay, but you're. Um, twenty twenty one Western playoffs. Conference champ. Yeah. Western Conference winner, 2020, 2021, plus 9,000. Plus 12,000. I got better odds than you. Worse odds, but about to win the division. Twelve. So you're 120 plus 120? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could have handled. Um, better better value. What'd you say? <laughs> What's time to win the division? Basically, to we win have to beat Dallas the out. division. We got to catch up, I think, two games. Yeah, it's... Um, Dang, I'm not seeing it. Okay. Yeah, I'm on, on FanDuel. They only have some of the Eastern Conference. I think it's because we're so far along. But I don't know, actually. that That's weird. I figured they would want Aren't people to bet. only two games back? Yeah, I that don't know. That is, that is weird. I actually saw them earlier today. So, I don't know why they're not there right now. Anyway. All right. Hammernail Coffin. We have we have reached the end of the marathon. <laughs> um, but I've, I've had a blast. It's felt like five minutes. I could go another hour and a half. At least. <laughs> All right, Hammer Nail Coffin, what are you looking for in this this home stretch, the fourth quarter of this season? I can't really wait to go to my first Grizz game live tomorrow. Come on, baby. <laughs> Which we decided before this pod. What are the odds that you go? Even? Even. I don't know. Even. It's a okay. thing, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Some contingencies. I really want to go. You it would be so up. fun. That's fine. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll tell you what. You forget about it like a quarter in. Okay. But just don't, if you want to get a beer. Can I show my Vax card? I know. I don't understand why you can't. Anyway, that's that. Hey, we don't want to get political into those weeds right here on the podcast. Um, What about you, Ty? Hammer no coffin. What record will we need to have to ensure the seven or eight? What do y'all think? 12 games left. 12 games left. I think we need a win. Six and six is 500, obviously. Yep. What do we need to do to make sure that we don't get the nine or ten and we stay in the seven to eight? Um, I forgot to mention this earlier. Portland has the fifth hardest schedule Great in the know. NBA. Great to know. So um, that was the one team I forgot to mention. So five hundred. To yeah, me, I think that's fair. To me, we're two games above five hundred right now. Correct, thirty and twenty-eight. Right. We have a record. Of thirty one and twenty nine. Okay, so that's close. Yeah, I think you need to be above five hundred. Are okay. you saying five hundred the rest of the way or five hundred yeah, like in six general? And six. No, like yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Six the way. Six from here. So ending two, what I think you, think you need. I think you need to to ensure the seven or eight. Yes. You need to end three games over five hundred. Okay. Which means you need to go seven and five seven the and rest five. of the way, which okay. is extremely doable with our schedule. Yeah. Especially with a win against Portland. Yeah. So. Um, that would be huge. It, it's really it's it is bizarre that the three hardest games we have left are against the three teams that we absolutely need to win, and Portland, we already own the tiebreaker Portland, against the Spurs, Golden State, and Dallas. Right. Yep. So, yeah, I would have to say the same thing. I would be. I'm very intrigued about the um about the Grayson minutes in the clutch. I think that's going to be the one thing we started off the pl- the podcast with it. I'll end it here. But um, 
it just it just seems to make sense to have somebody else in that spot, preferably Melton. Um, so we'll see how Jenkins decides to do that, as well as the Justice lineup change. I think that's you're running out of time to experiment. It's going to pretty soon be time to figure out who your eighth is going to be. So who are the top eight, and how is that going to shake out is what I'm going to be watching for. Um, guys, thanks for sticking with us. Follow us on social media at Grizzden on Instagram. At have Grizz, a new t-shirt. Go buy it. It's or, sweet. Yes. At Grizzden on Twitter, right? It's about, at Grizz underscore it's about on Instagram. Trip J being a unicorn. We do have a brand new t-shirt. It's inspired. Does he, Brantley, what's the t-shirt inspired by? It's a uh, album cover. Isaac Hayes, Hot Buttered Soul. It's basically Jaron uh, in his most glamorous pose of all time, preseason. Drip King. Drip King. He was wearing maybe some like tiger slash leopard pants. I'm not really sure which which animal of the cat. Animal Kingdom. I just came up with a new shirt. Oh, uh, yeah? Dripple J. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah send okay, me the sure. concept. I've right, got a great. t-shirt guy. Dripple J. J. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so Isaac like Hayes. like the emoji of the drip and J. That's right. J. Okay. Um, okay. With an L in the middle. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Jaren, uh, the, the uh, alternate jerseys this year are also inspired by Isaac Hayes, and so we wanted to follow that theme. Um, and the t-shirts are sick. So go to grizzden.com and grab you yours You can get it today. in a v-neck. Yeah. If that's your thing. Uh, Father's Day is coming up in like two months. Yeah, ladies. We know there's about seven of Listen, you. Listen, plan ahead. Um, Maybe 15, great actually. Gift. I can't remember the analytics. Seven to 15, some range in there. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. This has been a blast. Um, let's just get a win tomorrow night. Let's Come start on, this Grizz. off. Come on, Grizz. Let's go. All right. We'll talk to y'all very soon.